Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. For um, those of us who are going through Rooted, uh, we're in a section called, How Can I Make the Most of My Life? And uh, everybody caught up, right? And if you're not in Rooted, don't feel like, oh, this, this doesn't apply to me. Of course it does, and we're going to preach from the Scripture today. But uh, I'm coinciding my sermons with the Rooted materials, and, uh, and that's a great question, isn't it? A great question. And it wouldn't surprise us to realize that God who created us would have the answer for that. Does that make sense? That he would know what, what is best for us and how we can make the most of our lives. And so if you would open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read through the first 11 verses in just a moment. God's answer to this question of how can I make the most of my life is actually counterintuitive to the, the kind of self-help um, materials and seminars and kinds of things we tend to think about. I, got the, I found this great picture of this little little guy crawling up the ladder, and, uh, and I think that's what we tend to think of. How can I make them? How can I achieve? How can I reach for something greater in my life? And uh, we're going to find that God's answer is, is a little bit different than we might have thought. Philippians 2 tells us about how our attitude should be regarding ourselves. This passage is powerful in so many ways, but this morning, in a, in a, for just a brief couple of uh, moments here, I just want to walk through a couple of major thoughts that are in this passage but first, let's read the text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Follow along in your Bibles with me, if you would. I'm reading from the NIV 2011 version, but yours should read fairly similar. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, it really starts to get into the meat of what our conversation's about today. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. See, this is like you want to make the most of your life. Did you kind of see a pattern there? And so now we're getting to the answer. So to be exalted to the highest place, he gave him a name that's above every other name, and that the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you for blessing us today with just an amazing time with our brothers and sisters. Lord, we, 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 do, uh, we have invited you, uh, not because you're distant, because you are right here with us and in us, but, but we've invited uh, uh, the, the presence of the Lord. We've invited a special moment through our worship and through our prayers. And Lord, I no less would ask that you would attend this moment as well and attend it with your Holy Spirit for every heart that's here, including my own, that as we talk through and we kind of uh, look at your word here, that you would just speak to us and that we would be enriched because of it. Lord, help us to know indeed how to make the very best out of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. 
So uh, would you agree with me that, uh, that our obsession with self or selfishness in our day and age has become epidemic? Does that sound right to you? I mean, the, the advent of social media has really escalated, I think, the whole, a whole generation of people who are obsessed with themselves, telling my story and all this stuff. While Rhonda and I were on vacation, we uh, went to an In-N-Out Burger place, which is okay, but it's not Tommy's, but it's... <laughs> but uh, Rhonda really likes it, so we went to the In-N-Out Burger. And when we did... Um, we sat down at the table, we were waiting for our food, and, and in walked two uh, young ladies. I don't really know how old they were. It may have been late teens, early 20s, or something like that. But they were dressed up fairly nice for coming to a burger place. And, um, and, and they came in, and uh, from the moment they walked in the place, and I just couldn't wrap my mind around why this was happening, but they started taking selfies. And, uh, and, uh, and I was laughing about it, and I was, you know, I, sh- I know I shouldn't be, you know, that sounds terrible, Rhonda and I are over there talking back and forth. But anyway, uh, so, so Rhonda's laughing, and, and at one point, I just grabbed a quick photo of them. Uh, hopefully, I didn't, I'm not posting this on social media, so I'm not going to embarrass them, but it was just, it was humorous to us. They were taking poses with milkshakes and, you know, with their fries and it's like I don't get it I don't know I'm like trying to wrap my mind around why taking a selfie there was so important for them to me it was kind of hilarious and and so you know I I don't know um, and I'm not saying if you take selfies you're self-centered but it's funny to me that, that we're so focused on the self. And anyway, just before we go on, I just want to show you a few more selfies I found that I thought were kind of humorous. Like, I don't think he really wants you taking that picture at that moment. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good idea to me to uh, be taking a selfie while you're getting pulled over. So <laughs> that doesn't look so good. And I think this guy doesn't know what the selfie stick is for. <laughs> he's got one, but he's not using it properly. So that's all right. And uh, I don't know if this is staged or not, but that's kind of, yeah, I'm having a great day. And this kid in the background is just like, who knows? So that was kind of funny to me. Uh, yeah, I just, that just made me laugh. I just, I thought maybe she did that on purpose. I don't know, probably did, but it was funny. All right. Right at that moment, a camel bites you. That had to have hurt, right? Those look like big teeth. And so that's a, that was funny to me. I like this next one here. The, the kid is like... <laughs> had no interest in having his photo taken. Next one. <coughs> that's probably staged, but I just think that's just hilarious. Like, would, wouldn't that be something if that were true, right? Anyway, is that all of them? Yeah, I think that's it. So, uh, you know, but there's this, this whole thing about taking pictures of ourselves, and I think the selfie is symptomatic of a, our culture in America. Would you agree with that? that, that and, and really other parts of the world as well, not just America. But we're becoming more and more self-preoccupied, self-centered, self-obsessed, egotistical and selfish. I read, a, uh, I was looking at some stuff online this week and I, from a, a Psychology Today article um, from Leon Seltzer. He wrote this. He said, from a variety of, this is, this is very interesting to me, from a variety of phobic, anxiety, and obsessive compulsive impairments to many depressive disturbances to various addictions to post-traumatic stress disorder and to most of the personality, so he's named all the big things that are going on in our culture today. He goes on and he says, self-absorption can be seen as playing a major, if not dominant, role. So, so and I'm not saying that if you have any of those things that we mentioned, that long list of, of things, phobias and you know, compulsive things going on in your life, that, that you're definitely self-centered. But what they're finding out is that 
this kind of self-centeredness, self-absorption is causing people to manifest these kinds of things. Are you with me? So that's interesting to think about. And so if we find ourselves fearful or depressed, or it's maybe we're just thinking about ourselves too much. Maybe. Think about it. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying all these things come from that, but uh, it seems to factor in, and in some cases it is the cause. So the Bible has an answer for this. It's uh, really straightforward, although I won't say it's easy at all, but it's not to glorify yourself. It is not to prioritize yourself. It's to deny yourself. Oh, isn't that welcome words in our generation? Huh? Come on. Oh, yes, let me deny myself. Like, what, how different life would be if we really listened to the words of the Scripture and denied ourselves. Paul says our attitude this is, we just read this. Our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. The King James Version says it this way. Let this mind be in you. I always love the way that was worded. Let this mind be in you. It's a way of saying that you should think the way Christ did. You should think the way he did. Or, or how Jesus Christ thought about things is the way you should think about things. Or from there. So, so I don't know how that hits you when you hear it, but I definitely hear the implication that I, I'm not thinking correctly and I need to change my thinking. Right? Do you get that too? Like he's saying, change your attitude or let, have this attitude. Have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. Let your mind be changed. Let your attitude be changed. What attitude did Jesus have regarding self that we need to have? In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said that the Son of Man, let's get, look at this, this is so amazing. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're talking about what attitude should we have? We should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Didn't come to be served, but to serve. When we talk about making the most of our lives, Again, this is, I said that earlier, it's counterintuitive, but, but actually the answer really is found in being humble, serving others, caring about others. And instead of allowing ourselves to be swept up into selfieism, I just made that word up, you can feel free to use it, it might gain in popularity, but, but you understand that the ism of the religion of self, I mean, is what it really boils down to. Being other-focused is the answer for us. Jesus had the attitude that he came to serve others. He came to serve others. So being other-focused is the answer. There are two ways we can express this kind of humility uh, just as Christ did. First, in how we think about others, and then how we think about ourselves. And we're going to break those down very quickly here. Let's first look at this first point, which is value others. It's, it says in verse 3, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have any value, but honestly, most often we have no trouble uh, valuing ourselves, do we? And so this is where we have to pre press in a bit and say, okay, I'm going to start valuing others. We tend to look at ourselves, look out for ourselves. Are my needs being met? Do I have what I'm supposed to have? Is anyone paying attention to me? I don't know, about, I don't know anybody that from time to time does not slip into this kind of thinking. You understand what I'm saying? We do. We kind of slip into it. And, uh, but, but, those, but most are able to recognize when they, when they realize they're doing that and they're getting into a self-centered mode. And there are those who take pride to a whole new level, though. You know what I'm saying? They're just so self-absorbed. Sometimes we see this in children, that if they're not the center of attention in a room, right? Come on. Anybody got kids out there or had kids or been a kid, right? Sometimes if they're not the center of attention, they will act out, they will disobey, they'll do all kinds of things, and they'll throw a fit until they become the center of attention. 
And now as good parents, we're going to help break that down early in life. You know, we're going to help that me-centeredness early to save them a lot of grief later on. Do you understand, parents, what I'm saying? That we have to press. And that's the, I'll tell you, the hardest work of parenting is in those first couple of years when they can't express themselves very well, when they can't talk very well, and yet the selfishness is beginning to manifest. I, I, I was sitting there. It's just that, that kind of like me-centeredness. I want to do what I want to do. I was sitting in, uh, we have some, got some new recliners for Christmas, and, and uh, Alex was sitting in one next to me when he visited last week, and I was sitting in the other, and Emerson, his oldest, came, and, and he stuck his hands under the mechanism of the chair, which, you know, that, doesn't that just give you chills when you think about it? Oh. And so he stuck his hand in there, and I, I was sitting there, and I reached over, grabbed his hand very gently. He said, Emerson, don't put your hand in there. It's dangerous. It could give you a big owie. Right? Good grandpa. Did a good job. And so... Um, so anyway, Emerson wandered off for a moment, and, and it's sort of like the Holy Spirit was, I could feel it in the back, maybe it was just from experience of raising my own kids, but I could feel it, this isn't over, right? Come on, parents, come on, this isn't over. And so he wandered back, it was a couple of minutes, but he wandered back, and do you know he stuck his hand right back in there? And then, then I, you know, uh, I think... Uh, Maybe if you'd have just seen this the first time, and you see my reaction was a little bit more stern. I hardly ever talk to my grandparents stern. I'm just the nicest papa in the world. But at that moment, I knew there was something that needed to be broken in him. And I, I'm not saying I took the place of his parents in that moment, but I said, I grabbed him sternly. I didn't hurt him in any way, but I just grabbed him, and I pulled him quickly away, and I looked him right in the face and spoke to him in a loud voice. Do not stick your hand in there. You're going to get hurt. And boy, he, he had never been talked to that way by his papa before. He made a beeline for mama, and I was waiting for mama to kind of take it out on me, you know, like, am I going to get in trouble here? And I was hoping not, you know. And, and, but, you know, but I hope that I can, because, listen, this is so important as you're raising children. If we don't teach them when they're one, two, three years old what no means, they're never going to get it. And then what, what is causing them to keep doing things when no has been said is because they are self-focused, they're self-centered, they're thinking, I can do what I want to do, I don't have to do what you tell me. So parents, I'm begging you, I see way too much lax parenting in, uh, today, honestly, it scares me. Go after these things, don't let it persist, don't let it, we're talking about dangers things that could happen to our kids if we will not get a hold of this. But the worst thing of all is not the physical harm, because that will heal, that may come to them, but the emotional harm that we're doing by not letting them know that they are not the center of the universe. Somebody should say amen right there. Okay. That was all, I threw a lot of free stuff in there. That was all, uh, wasn't in my notes, but it just, yeah, it's important. So uh, another translation of uh, Philippians 2.3 goes like this. It's uh, it says, don't do anything from selfish ambition or, I like this, from a cheap desire to boast. But be humble toward one another, always considering others better than yourselves. Isn't that good? You know, and it, it is. Sometimes it's just a cheap desire to boast. So selfish ambition is simply, it, it's simply because you want things for yourself. That's what simple, uh, uh, selfish ambition is, really. Back in the 40s and 50s, there was a baseball player named uh, Ralph Kiner, I think is how you pronounce it. He was a very, very good player. And after a season in which he hit 37 home runs, he asked the Pittsburgh Pirate uh, general manager, uh, whose name was Branch Rickey, for a raise. He says, I, I deserve a raise, and, and I led the league in homers. And Ralph reminded him, he said, where did we finish as a team? And, and he said, well, we finished last. He, says, well, he said, we can finish last without you. 
think you're so important, right? You know, you're not getting a raise until we all get a raise here. Like, that's the way that works. So be humble or you'll stumble is how it goes. Amen? How do we consider others better? Well, by humbling ourselves. If we humble ourselves and there's nothing we, we look at that we say, I wouldn't do that for you. Back in the spring of 2010, our church sent a mission team to Africa, and I was privileged to be able to go. And, um, and we went with our church uh, team, and there was great experience. When I got there, I was told immediately, uh, just set, you, you got to learn some cultural stuff as you go. They said they have a high regard for pastors there. And so immediately, everywhere I went, um, I was going to defer to uh, someone else. You know, I, I don't mind sitting in the back of the van or whatever, but they always made me sit in the very front seat. Uh, they drive on the wrong side of the road over there, and so I was, you know, sitting. Anyway, so I'm sitting in the front seat all the time, and they gave me preference. When I would come to a church to speak or preach or teach, I would have my Bible and my backpack with me. Always, they knew I was coming, and always a young man would come out and come to me, and, and, and he would take, I would have my Bible in my hand like this, and he'd just grab it out of my hands. Like, I thought, what are you doing? That's my Bible. And he would take my Bible and my stuff, and he'd always carry my stuff for me. And then when I came into church, they wouldn't let me just sit with the, the common folk, you know. I had to have, sit on some kind of a big old chair up front. It was all this kind of stuff. And they, I understand they were trying to show honor, and I get it. And I didn't want to be culturally insensitive, but I'm going to tell you right now, it made me feel very uncomfortable. That's just not, not the way I think of myself at all. So we, we finally went out to the bush country, went out to the Maasai people, and um, there's a, a headquarters being built out there, and and so I showed up, and I said to the base leader, I said, what can I do? Anything. You tell me anything, I'll do it. And he looked at me kind of stunned. He said, well, you know, there is this job, and nobody really wants to do it. I said, fine, I'll take it. That's the one I want. He said, there's this pile of dirt. It's good dirt over here. We're trying to grow a vegetable garden over here, so we need to take the good dirt from here and put it over there. And I thought, that sounds fine, you know. And I'm looking for a backhoe. I'm looking, you know. No, no, no. And... Um, and it's about 300 yards, I kid you not, between this pile of dirt and where they wanted it. And they, I said, okay, how are we going to move it? Because I'm, I'm thinking, what do we do? You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Here we go. Uh, so we have a wheelbarrow. So I go over and grab this wheelbarrow. Somebody hand-built this wheelbarrow. They did not know how to build a wheelbarrow. A wheelbarrow is supposed to have the wheel right under the center of the weight so that when you're walking along, you're barely carrying just a little weight in your hands, right? This one had the wheel not only in the front but way out in front. So just picking up the wheelbarrow alone, which was welded together out of steel pipes and steel stuff, you pick up the wheelbarrow alone, you're already struggling. Then you're going to fill it with dirt, and every bit of the weight was right on your arms. And I'm like, you know, I think my arms grew longer on that trip. But anyway, so we, we, I just went back and forth, shoveling loads into this wheelbarrow as much as I could stand to carry with that wheelbarrow from hell, you know, uh, dumping it on the loads and going through this. It was just, it was crazy. And then, then when we were done with all that work, you know, when it was time for a meal, I would be the first one to get up after a meal, and I'd start helping with the dishes. And, I th and people were starting to look at me, and I didn't know why, but they are just starting to look at me like, you're weird, or, you know. So I kept doing things. I kept helping out. I asked, what else do you need done? And they, I could, you know, fix things. I did all these different things that were just very practical. And uh, you've got to understand, in their culture, the women, uh, in the Maasai culture, the women do all the work. They really do. The men pretty much uh, herd cattle and goats, 
and which means they sit under trees and talk while the cattle and goat just eat whatever they can find out there. And all the women build the huts, they, care, they do all the food, they carry all the water, they take care of the children. As soon as children are old enough, they get involved in the process, but the men do absolutely nothing other than take care of the, the goats and the cattle. And so as this trip was nearing an end, we were meeting together at the end and praying together and stuff, and the, the women, through a translator, spoke about uh, the men in our group specifically and said, said, thank you so much for showing our men that men can work. <laughs> right? They were really excited about that. And I think they were really amazed that a pastor of all people would do such things. I, I don't think of myself as anything different than just, you know, a person that God's called. But, but the thing is, is I was very happy to help in those very practical ways. I love doing stuff like that. So, so, so being humble means you're willing to serve in any capacity. No job is beneath you. I know he wouldn't want me to say anything, but, but I'm just so grateful, Kelly. Every week, this guy comes and shows up, straps on our backpack vacuum, and just vacuums our whole... Aren't you glad that when you come in, there's not crumbs of stuff and junk on the floor? And he comes in, he vacuums this building up every single week. He just humbles himself and shows up like that. And I'm so deeply, deeply thankful for people that say, hey, I'll serve any way I can in the church and wherever God would have me. Amen? Amen. So Jesus humbled himself. And, and he, he even showed it on the night he was betrayed. He took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and washed the feet of his disciples. He washed, in essence, he washed our feet. And, and he loved us. He fed us, if you go with me on this. He healed us. He delivered us. And after three years of serving in that way, he made the ultimate sacrifice by dying on a cross for us. And I want to just say one more thing before I get to my second point, which is shorter, and that is in this politically overcharged climate that we live in right now in America, and it is just so polarized, we have to be careful to not let our own political persuasions, our own thoughts about things, infect how we value other people, right? Because it's, it's like everything's trying to create a divide, a, a, a war, if you will, between cl a clash of cultures, between peoples and parties and races and ethnicities. Everything is trying to polarize us. We as the church cannot afford to be swept up in that. We just cannot. We have to value others. We have to value others as Christ did. <coughs> and so when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just doing something for us, but showing us what we needed to do. Now in verse 7, Paul says that Jesus made himself nothing. That's our second point. This new attitude that we're supposed to have is to make ourselves nothing. Years ago, I had a couple of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door. Um, and I could see it coming. I thought, oh, you know, and sometimes I think, I don't really want. But, but this time I decided, well, I'll step out there and talk to them a bit. And so they were very eager to point out their specific doctrine about the name of God. This is why they call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses, because they believe that the name of God is strictly and only Jehovah, and he should not be known by any other name. And uh, there's a whole, I could teach you all about that and why why that isn't necessary, but, but that's not my point today. But anyway, they're getting after this, and, and I, at one point I just thought, no, nah, I'm just going to get right into this. I said, here's the problem, is that you don't believe Jesus is Jehovah, but I do. And they just, oh, can't believe you said that, you know. And I said, you know, he is, he's Jehovah. And they, 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 what they do at that moment is start to go to their pre-programmed verses that they've been taught how to answer that question. And one of them that they go to is right in our text today, Philippians chapter 2. And, and, it, and it, they, they read it, 
they have their own translation of the Bible called the New World Translation, which is not a, a valid or good translation. But they'll also be happy to use the King James Version at certain times. And, and the King James in this particular place says um, that Jesus was, uh, in verse 6 it will say, Jesus being in the form of God, right? Being in the form of God. So they'll point to that and they'll say, see, it says here right in your own Bible that, and I say, I don't use the King James. No, I didn't. Um, but <laughs> it's, a, it's great. It's great. But, uh, but, the, but the, at the time that translation was written, the word form was fine for the way that was done in the, at that time. But, but 400 years have passed, you understand, since the King James Version was made. And that's why the NIV is translating it differently. It's talking about uh, the very nature of God. He's the very nature of God. Okay? And so the, the, the word in the Greek is the word morphe. Uh, we, get, we can understand what English words, morph, and that kind of thing come from that. And, but what it really means is the outward form expresses the inner essence. See how form is being used in that sentence? The inner essence of what it is is being expressed in an outward form. Notice, but it's talking about the inner essence. It goes on and it says it expresses the form as that which is intrinsic or in, inside, right? And essential, the very makeup of what it is. So that, that word form, we understand how that could be used in that context. In other words, the outward appearance is showing what is really on the inside. So being in the form of God from the original language means he is in the very nature, who he is on the inside. He's God. He's really God. Completely God. And so that, that's a twisting thing that they want to do. Verse 7 says he made himself nothing. Now, to make yourself nothing, it means you had to be something to begin with, doesn't it? <laughs> right? And the something that he was, was God. But he emptied himself of his right to act as God. He didn't cease being God. He could never do that. But he emptied himself of the right to act as God in that moment. And, and, became, and temporarily clothed himself with flesh and lived within the confines and limitations of a human body. But he never ceased being God. Jesus is our example to follow. We, again, we need to, what is our attitude our, about self? And, and we have to have one that says, I'll lay aside my rights, whatever I may feel they are, and I will serve. I will lay aside my pride, I will humble myself. This is a, an inescapable truth of the New Testament. I often quote, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. And I, uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me, gave himself for me. And, and so we, we, the way we live is not by living out me, but by living Christ through me as a believer. Making ourselves nothing does not mean we are nothing or have no value. We have extraordinary value. Why? Because Christ is in us. And that's what Angela was alluding to as she was talking there uh, earlier about that. Because he's in us. The me I used to be had to become nothing. In other words, the old man has to die. The Bible goes to great lengths to point this out. I want to show you uh, four different passages. Some of them are multiple verses, but I've kind of linked them together to get the thought across. And we're going to, in fact, why don't you stand with me? Come on. This, we're, we're, we're landing the plane pretty soon here. But I want you to stand with me, and we're going to quote some scripture together to get this truth into our hearts in a deeper way. We're going to start with Romans 6, 6, and verse 11. Are you ready? Go. For we know that our old self was crucified with him 
so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Got it? Next one, Galatians 5.24, go. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Sinking in? Next one, Galatians, or Colossians 2.20, and then skipping to uh, chapter 3, verse 3, but they link together if you read it in context. Ready, go. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And finally, 2 Corinthians 5. 15, go. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen. Worship team, come on up. The rest of you may be seated. This is what it means to make ourselves nothing, that we understand that we die to self. We die to the old man. This is what water baptism signifies, is that we are saying the old man was buried and dead, and I'm raised to life new. We make the most of our life by becoming the least. We make the most of our life by denying ourselves and focusing on others, helping them to make the most of their lives. Is this making sense? Good. So our new attitude is this. It's a humble attitude. It's a person who's humble will consider others better than themselves and learn what it means to make themselves nothing. One of the greatest stories I shared many years ago when I found this, uh, I want to share it again. Um, how many have heard of Booker T. Washington before? Okay, about half. So uh, hopefully our school system will teach about this great man in American history, uh, and we'll get it. But one day, he was a great early African-American um, civil rights leader, if you will. But, but more than that, he was, he was uh, free before the Civil War, and he, went, uh, he was born of slaves, but he, he went and uh, became educated at a very high level and became a professor at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. And um, ultimately, after the Civil War... And, Anyway, while he lived in Alabama, the, and, and sometimes we hear stories like this, it, it offends our sensibilities, it offends how we feel in this day and age when we think about people treating others this way. But there was this wealthy white woman who lived in a house in Alabama there, and, and uh, Booker T. Washington, Professor Washington, was walking by her house. And she, said, she yelled out to him as he's walking down the road, You there! I need some wood chopped. Come over here and chop my wood for me. Now we go, you've got to be kidding me, right? You know, that lady's nuts! But you got to slavery has been in this world a lot longer than it hasn't been in this world. In fact, it still is in this world. Do we understand that? And the, 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 the things that we think today about things like that, we go, no way. But, but it was a different time. And this is the way the world has always been because of sin. Do you understand? It's never been God's will that anybody be a slave. But if they, and I love the way the New Testament treats this, but if you find yourself in a, in a position as a slave, then you just do the very best and serve that, serve that master as if you're serving the Lord. So, so even though we live in a wicked society where that kind of stuff happens, God's, God's answer uh, you know, is, of course, first and foremost, freedom. But if you don't get freedom, then just do your best. Right? Well, Booker T. Washington was not a slave. He was a professor at a at a, a college, and, and so without a word, he walked over, peeled off his jacket, picked up the axe, and began chopping wood for her. He made quite a nice pile of wood, then he took some of it inside and arranged it ne neatly in her home. And then he l led himself out, and he headed 
on his way and went to the college where he taught. Another servant that was there came to her and said, do you not realize who that was that you had chopping your wood? That was Booker T. Washington. When she heard the name, she went, oh my goodness. Oh, that's terrible. So she hurried down and found him and said, Professor Washington, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize who you were. Right? And I love his response. I love this because like, can we just let this sink in for a moment? Because he didn't have to do that, but but he said, there's no need to apologize, madam. He says, I'm delighted to do favors for my friends. Right? It's like, can you imagine? Can you imagine? We, we get offended in the slightest little way, and we just go ballistic and like, you've offended me! How dare you! Mm-hmm. Can we just kind of change our attitude that even if someone's offending us, we just figure out a way to love them and make a friendship with them? Come on. You know what I'm saying? What a great lesson could be learned from that. William Temple uh, said, this quote has been attributed to other people, but it was him who said it. He said, humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. There we go. (laughs) You know? So again, we're making the most of our lives by dying to our own and looking to the interests of others. Amen? Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.